0: When they ask about the volunteers or or who's willing to to go to jail to keep the momentum going, there were three of us who raised our hands, myself being the only female.
1: On October 4th, 1961, Brenda Travis was expelled from Berglund High School for her activism and multiple civil rights demonstrations. Over 100 Black high school students walked out in protest of Brenda's suspension. This historic walkout and support for Brenda was a catalyst for youth engagement and the fight for integration and voting rights in Macomb, Mississippi. I'm Natalie Boyd, a podcast producer with USA Today. Brenda Travis spoke with us about the emotional experience of seeing her schoolmates walk out and the sacrifices she endured for the civil rights movement. This is the seven days of 1961 podcast, hear history from the people who made it. In
0: 1955, um, those of us who were born in that era have Emmett Till stories, but I was only 10 years old when Emmett Till was killed.
1: Brenda decided from a very young age that she had to do something to fight for her freedom and the freedom of the people she loved.
0: And I, I noticed there was a quiet, hush-hush whispering, and my parents, you know, my didn't want us to know about this horrific tale of the death of Emmett Till. It was like too close to home. So someone had a jet magazine and I saw the bloated, beaten, battered body of Emmett Till in the casket. And it was at that point my life changed for eternity. And a few days after seeing Emmett Till's body, the police came to our home, bust through the door, yanked my brother up. And this is an emotional story for me. And the only thing I could think of when they yanked my brother up was that he was going to end up in the same condition as Emmett Till. I would never, ever see him alive again. And it was at that point, as I said, my whole life changed.
1: Brenda's brother returned home later that night, but he never spoke about what happened to him that day. At the age of 16, Brenda became the youth president of her local NAACP.
0: After setting up the office, a group of us young people, started going there to be trained how to register or teach people to register to vote because in Mississippi they had requirements that you had to pay your poll tax and had to take written tests which meant that you were supposed to be literate. And, and the tests that they gave, many of them just didn't make sense. A Philadelphia lawyer couldn't have even passed to tell you how many grains of, of uh, rice is in a package. Just absolutely ridiculous. The voter registration was going slowly, and there was too much energy with the youth. So Hollis Watkins Mohammed and Curtis Hayes Mohammed... Um, in order to uh, capture this energy, they decided to do uh, direct action. So these two guys went to F. W. Woolworth and sat, sat down at the counters and were immediately arrested.
1: Soon after Hollis and Curtis's arrest, the community held a local meeting to discuss what steps should be taken to further the movement it was decided that they would attempt to desegregate their local bus station and to prepare for the worst.
0: When they ask about the volunteers, or who's willing to, to go to jail to keep the momentum going? And so there were three of us who raised our hands. Ike Lewis, Robert Bobby Talbert, and myself being the only female. So we went the next day to the Greyhound bus station. We walked in to sneers and jeers and stuff. Before we could get our tickets or ask for our tickets, the police were there to arrest us. So the three of us were arrested. We joined Hollis and Curtis we went into the jail, okay, hey, Curtis, Hollis, you know, letting them know your comrades are here. <laughs> and so we all just cheered and we were happy. We were just a jovial group. We would sleep during the daylight hours and at night we'd wake up and sing all night in the, the, the Pike County Jail. Had, was in a neighborhood had community people were all around and we would sing oh freedom ain't a scatter your jail cause I want my freedom I want my freedom um, and, and tis that freedom trains are coming coming Coming, tis that free. Some trains are coming, coming, coming. But we rock the neighborhood. We rock the
1: neighborhood. Brenda and her four fellow protesters spent an entire month in jail.
0: So upon my release, I went to enroll in school and was told by uh, the principal C.D. Higgins uh, that um, I, I I was expelled and I asked him why and he said, you know, because of your civil rights activity and mind you, I don't know what my civil rights activity had to do with me going to school because school was out. This wasn't an activity that occurred during the school year even. But he also alluded to the fact that the the school superintendent, who was a white superintendent, tell you who should be in school, who should be expelled and stuff. We weren't rowdy, vicious, violent people. We were peaceful.
1: Brenda left the principal's office frustrated. She told a friend about her expulsion and they headed to the auditorium for school assembly. Word of Brenda's expulsion spread throughout the student body and a classmate questioned the principal about Brenda during the assembly. The principal responded they should speak in his office and ended the assembly.
0: So after the assembly was over, I left out of the auditorium to leave the campus, and then the student, the student walked out with me from the from the gym. I was walking and just looking, you know, out of my peripheral, and here are these people. It was like a wall, a wall engulfing me. It was emotional. It was emotional because at that point, I knew I wasn't alone. I knew I wasn't alone.
1: The students sang We Shall Overcome and marched in sync to Macomb City Hall. Their peaceful protest was met by an angry mob wielding pipes, bricks, bats, chains, and wrenches. The students stopped across the street from the City Hall building. Brenda knelt at the top of the stairs and began to pray. Before she could finish her prayer, she was snatched up by police officers and taken to another jail cell. The story of the walkout spread, and it inspired some activists who wanted to push back against the way things were. It helped to rally some young people in Mississippi to protest racism and segregation at lunch counters, bus stations, and voting booths many of the students who participated in the walkout went on to become leaders of major organizations in the civil rights movement throughout the South.
0: I was 16 at the time. I was rearrested. I was uh, went back to Magnolia, the Pike County Jail, and from there, they took me uh, to... Oakley Training School, they didn't tell my mother where I was. She still thought that I was in the Pike County Jail. When she went there, I wasn't there, and they didn't have any answers for her. So she thought that I was lynched. So I spent six and a half months in the reformatory school.
1: Upon her release, Brenda was exiled from the state of Mississippi and put in the care of a professor in Alabama who she later said abused her.
0: And I felt as though I always had to be looking over my shoulder because they were coming after me to be honest with you, till today even, I have trust issues. I've gone around to schools. I've spoken with young people. I've played videos of the movement, showing excerpts of marches where they're using water hoses and how the water hose is so powerful that it was lifting bodies up and washing them down the street like we would take our water hoses out there and blow a piece of paper down the street. How dogs were sicked on demonstrators. Peace for demonstrators. And my advice would be to the young people today... Continue in the vein that we started. Don't wait for something to happen to be active. Be proactive. And many times when you're proactive, bad things may happen, but not as bad as would be if you sit and do nothing. Evil grows when good men do nothing. So
1: don't be the good man and do nothing. In 2013, Brenda founded the Brenda Travis Historical Education Foundation. Through this foundation, Brenda teaches young people about the civil rights movement and encourages them to be active in social justice.
0: It's very painful. It is very painful. We made a few strides, but we've lost a few too. Those strides had bloodshed, they had heartache, they had tears, they had sacrifices to think in terms of that and to see things almost revert back to, in some instances, it's worse than what it was. All of these different hate groups, it just so blatantly opened with their hatred. Why would you hate me because I came out maybe a shade darker than you? And my hair may be a little bit more curly or not straight like. Why would you hate me because of that? And it reminds me of what my mother, and I call Mama Ella Baker, my mother. We who believe in freedom cannot rest. We who believe in freedom cannot rest until it comes. Until the killing of black men, black mother sons. As important as the killing of white men, white mother's sons, we who believe in freedom cannot arrest. And that's
1: my message. The Seven Days of 1961 podcast is produced and edited by me, Natalie Boyd. Deborah Barfield-Berry reported this episode, and Robert Hanashiro produced the interview. You can see images of Brenda and read Deborah's full story about the walkout at 7daysof1961.usatoday.com. We've dropped a link to the story in this episode description. Thank you for listening. Let other people know about the show. These firsthand stories of protest and change deserve more recognition. Please write us a review on Apple podcasts. It helps more people find the podcast and you can tweet us at USA today.